0: Hello and thanks for joining us for the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast from the Institute for Research on Poverty at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Dave Chancellor. This is our March 2017 episode, and we're going to hear from Anna Gaspin-Pines of Duke Sanford School of Public Policy. She'll be talking about a study she did on whether the timing of SNAP benefits might affect kids' performance on tests. Although most people listening to this podcast know something about SNAP or food stamps, I asked Professor Gaspen Pines if she could give us a quick refresher on the structure of the program.
1: The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, which used to be called food stamps, is the largest nutrition assistance program in the United States, um, serving about 45 million people, including approximately one quarter of all children in the United States. And the way that SNAP works is benefits are transferred to families once a month on an electronic benefits transfer card, which is basically like a debit card that you can swipe at the convenience store, or the grocery store. And those dollars on that electronic benefits card can only be used for the purchase of food. And so the amount of money that goes on that card is based on um, your family's income and also the number of people in your household.
0: Gaspin Pine says there's a connection between the timing of SNAP benefit receipt and related spending that may have nutritional consequences.
1: So families get that benefit from SNAP once a month, and there's substantial evidence that in households with children, the vast majority of SNAP recipients are spending all of those SNAP dollars in the first two weeks. So nearly half um, of SNAP recipient households with children have spent all of their SNAP benefits in the first two weeks after that transfer. And then um, about 27% have spent over three quarters of their total SNAP just in that first two weeks. The bulk of the research has focused on variability in nutrition and food intake as a result of this kind of bumpy spending of SNAP dollars. And so, for example, other researchers have found that Um, At the end of the benefit cycle, SNAP recipients spend less money on food, actually consume fewer calories, um, and eat less healthy foods, such as fewer fruits and vegetables than they do at the beginning right after they've gotten that transfer. Um, And there's actually a really interesting recent study that shows that actually um, hospital admissions for hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, are higher at the end of the SNAP month um, than the beginning. So a lot of the... Research has focused on how families' food intake has varied um, over the over the SNAP benefit cycle.
0: Professor Gasman Pines notes that this variation in food intake can have big consequences for kids.
1: So, nutrition for kids is obviously extremely important as children are uh, growing physically; they're still growing and um, and have really high levels of nutritional needs. And we also know that nutrition. And the quality of nutrition is related to kids' behavior, so their ability to focus and pay attention, for example, and those are really critical skills for doing well in school. And also nutrition um, in children and adults is linked to cognitive performance and cognitive functioning. So nutrition is really crucial for children's functioning.
0: Knowing that many SNAP households with children use most of their SNAP benefit early in the month, Professor Gasman pines wanted to find out if the amount of time that's passed since a household receives their monthly SNAP benefit can affect performance on an end-of-grade reading and math tests for kids in 3rd through 8th grade, so about 9 to 14 years old.
1: So in North Carolina, SNAP benefits are distributed... Uh, throughout the month on odd days between the 3rd and the 21st. And so within any given school, when children sit down to take that end of grade academic achievement test, some children are in families uh, that just got their benefits and other children are in families that got their SNAP almost a whole month ago. And so really what we're doing is comparing the performance of kids at different points in in their SNAP benefit cycle. Well, um, my original hypothesis was that uh, students' um, performance on these end of grade tests would be uh, highest pretty soon after the SNAP transfer, maybe not right away, but fairly soon after and would be lowest at the end of the month. Surprisingly, what I found was um, that students' performance on these tests is actually highest in the third week. Following transfer. It's uh, lowest immediately following the SNAP transfer, and also pretty low at the end of the month, as you'd expect.
0: To dig into this a little further, Gaspin Pines looked at whether there might be differences by students' race, gender, and by whether the student had a young sibling at home.
1: So we actually didn't find any differences um, for black and white students, which was somewhat surprising because um, we know, for example, that even among poor households, um, black families have. Um, lower income, uh, fewer assets, um, lower levels of wealth, and so are generally less able to buffer economic instability uh, than even poor white families. So we we actually thought we would find more racial differences, and we're surprised that the pattern looks quite similar for black and white students. Um, When we compared boys and girls, we actually found stronger effects on girls than on boys. Uh, And we're not entirely sure what's driving those. It could be that girls are... um, more involved in food preparation or shopping and so are more aware of this kind of fluctuation within the month about the availability and accessibility of food it could be that um, parents are more worried about vulnerable boys and are maybe working harder to buffer um, their boys and kind of shield them from from this variability we don't really know but but the effects do appear to be stronger for girls And then when we looked at differences by um, the presence of a young sibling, what we found is no effect on kids who have a sibling under the age of two. And that's really important because in um, SNAP recipient households where there is a young child, those households are very likely to also be receiving nutritional support from the WIC program. And so that appears to be evidence that that additional nutrition assistance is buffering those families from this within-month variability related to SNAP. For the group of students who don't have a young sibling, that's where we see the stronger pattern of findings.
0: Gasman pine says that another way to look at this, instead of using the average test scores, is to look at whether children's performance on that test gets them to the point of being considered grade-level proficient in a subject.
1: And so when we looked at at it that way and we considered what's the probability that a student is grade-level proficient in reading or math... We found the same pattern, so that the probability of being considered grade level proficient in reading is the highest 16 days af- after SNAP transfer, um, and it's 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 slightly lower at the beginning of the SNAP month and also lower at the end of the SNAP month. Now, this effect size is not large; it's just about you know a one percent increase in the in the probability of being grade level proficient in reading, and a similar size for math, although not. Uh, not as precisely measured, and so not reaching statistical significance. Um, if you th- So if you think about what it means in terms of how teachers and administrators treat students who meet that important proficiency standard or not, for kids who are right around the cutoff, whose, whose ability is is putting them right at the margin for being able to meet that proficiency standard or not, it could really make a difference how many days have passed since their family got SNAP.
0: Given that Gaspin Pines expected test scores to be highest soon after the transfer, I asked her what she thought might be behind students performing better later in the benefit cycle, rather than right after the transfer.
1: What the mechanisms are that link the timing of SNAP benefits to to these test score outcomes is really the the big unanswered question. Um, so I have some um, data that I've collected myself that um, shows some preliminary evidence that family stress appears to be part of the puzzle. I don't think it's the only mechanism that's important, but I do think that when this variability leads to family stress, we know that family stress can disrupt parent-child interaction, can lead to more negative family functioning in general, um, which could also be linked to kids' performance on these achievement tests. So I have some um, preliminary evidence showing that um, that that family stress does seem to be playing a role here. It's uh, it's suggestive. It's not definitely a mechanism. But um, what I find when I actually ask parents every day for a whole month, how worried are you today about having enough to eat, about um having the kind of food you want? Have you skipped a meal today? And I put those answers together. What I find is that in the first two weeks following transfer, parents reports of that kind of daily worrying about food is pretty low. And then in the second half of the month, their daily worry about food increases quite rapidly so that by the end of the month, parents are feeling quite worried about the availability and accessibility of food. And so if you put those things together, you've um, It appears to be the case that um, for children in SNAP recipient households, their test performance is the highest when it immediately follows that two week period of relatively low stress, which is also probably a two week period of having more access to food. Um, and so it's, it's probably not only family stress, it's probably a combination of um, having access to more food in the home and then also a lower stress environment um, that seems to be connected um, and, and leading to better performance immediately following that, that kind of period of low stress and more food access.
0: Gasman Pine says that although the effect sizes of their results are fairly small, the SNAP benefit cycle happens every month. And when you consider the cumulative effect of even a few days a month of reduced focus or cognitive functioning, there's the potential that this could be driving some of the difference in academic achievement between low-income kids and high-income kids. So I asked Professor Gaspin-Pines what sort of policy options might be useful here.
1: We need to think about how to help improve SNAP. I mean, there's no doubt that SNAP is a crucial component of the social safety net and is a very consistent income source for families that rely on it. At the same time, um, we see, uh, my evidence as well as um, other people's research, that for many SNAP recipient households, the size of the benefit is not enough. And it is leading to this kind of within-month variability and important outcomes for children and families that we care about. So there are um, a number of different policy approaches that we might consider. Um, Taking this body of evidence as a whole, um, one thing to think about would be, would it help families to distribute SNAP benefits twice a month rather than once a month? So the same total benefit amount, but spread it out over two payments instead of only one. Each month. Um, another possibility is that um, the size of the benefit should be increased or increased for some families. So perhaps um, for families with, for example, adolescents who are going through this rapid phase of growth and development, we have WIC that provides additional nutritional assistance for families with young children who are also going through a very rapid phase of growth and development. But for families with adolescents, where those children are also having increased nutritional demands, we might think about increasing the size of the benefit, Um, not necessarily for every single SNAP recipient household, but for some targeted groups, including families with adolescents who might have increased nutritional needs.
0: Thanks to Anna Gaspin-Pines for sharing this work with us. This podcast was supported as part of a grant from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Office of the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation, but its contents don't necessarily represent the opinions or policies of that office or any other agency of the federal government or the Institute for Research in Poverty. Thanks for listening. To catch new episodes of the Poverty Research and Policy Podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. You can find all of our past episodes on the Institute for Research and Poverty website.